You're listening to episode 153 of the Food Biz Whiz podcast, and this show kicks off a very special three-part mini-series on lessons learned from seven-figure CPG brands. Over the next three episodes, I'm joined by Adam Pollock of Rodeo CPG, Karen Samuelson, and Allison Smith of Umai Marketing, and we are discussing how the most successful brands nail their operations, their retail, and their digital marketing strategies and what you can do in your own business if you are on your way to becoming a million-dollar brand. This is the first episode where we highlight Adam. He's going to talk through what you need to have in place with your operations before you're ready to scale. It is filled with spot-on advice and practical tips that you can implement today, so grab a pen and paper and keep on listening. I'm Allie Ball, former grocery buyer and retail store manager turned wholesale consultant. In my role on the retail floor, I saw delicious, values-driven brands fail on our shelves simply because they didn't understand the the behind-the-scenes of wholesale. I created the Food Biz Whiz podcast to give you hard-to-access insight from my career in the food industry and the tools and strategies to help you succeed on retail shelves. If you're a committed food founder who's looking to create and grow a packaged products business that positively impacts our food system, puts wealth back into your own hands, and employs members of your local community, you have found the right podcast. Let's do this. Hey, before we jump in, I want to make sure that you've grabbed my free retail roadmap, a workbook that outlines my nine steps to building a brand that flies off the shelf. If you're a producer of a packaged product in the food industry, you are going to want this. I'll add it to today's show notes, so make sure you check out that PDF when you're done listening. Thanks. Hi, Adam, Allison, and Karen. I'm so excited to have you guys here with me today. Good to be here. Excited to be here. Okay, so as I mentioned in the intro, this is the very first episode of our three-part series on lessons learned from seven-figure CPG brands. So over the next three episodes, we are going to discuss how the most successful brands nail ops, retail, and digital marketing. And we are kicking off today with a focus on operations led by Adam Pollock, the VP of marketing at Rodeo CPG. We also have two of our favorite CPG marketers, Allison Smith and Karen Samuelson, the co-founders of Umai Marketing, joining us in conversation today. So let's kick things off with a really quick intro, and then we'll dive into today's episode on ops. So Adam, I'm going to kick it to you first, and I'm going to ask you to tell us what you do at Rodeo. Tell us where you currently live. And I'm going to give you an off script question here. And I'm going to ask you what you had for breakfast today. Awesome. Yeah. So I head up for uh, marketing for Rodeo, which basically just means creating resources and content and tools and all sorts of other things that would be useful for the CPG community. My background is as a CPG operator. So I started two different food businesses and I take a lot of the experience from there and a lot of the experience from our team and, and try and build things that are helpful for our clients and the community at large. I live in Denver, Colorado, uh, and my breakfast this morning was a very green smoothie. Not the tastiest, but but very efficient and, and healthy. Did you make it yourself? I did. Yeah. So lots of fruit is still sweet, but a lot of greens in there. So yeah. probably not everyone's cup of tea. You know, we'll see. Well, I'm, I'll like kick it to Karen and maybe that's what I'll ask. Karen, are you a smoothie person? Tell me what you do at Umai and tell me where you live. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I am a smoothie person, but my breakfast wasn't healthy. I had breakfast tacos. So I'll just think of your smoothie and think healthy thoughts. Um, I am a co-founder at Umai Marketing. I focus in on a lot of content creation, organic social tactics, uh, influencer marketing, and I live in Austin, Texas. Yes, home of the breakfast taco. Home of the breakfast taco, hence why I eat it multiple times a week. (laughs) Awesome. Okay. Um, And who do you have with you here, Allison? Or Karen, excuse me. You've got Allison with you. Allison, tell us tell us I'm, what you do at Umai. I'm here with myself, and I am Allison. Uh, <laughs> I am the other co-founder of Umai Marketing. My focus is my background, I guess, is in paid social. So running meta ads, running other social campaigns and ads. Um, I work on that side for our clients and for our course and also love anything strategic or e-commerce based. So that's where my mind lies. I do not eat breakfast. I am one of those people uh, where usually I'm just too lazy to make something. So I also had a breakfast taco, but for lunch. So that is my breakfast. <laughs> yes. But I mean, that's acceptable. We accept everyone here you Thank know, you. And, and their and their preferences. So um, that's fair. Okay. And so then, of course, I imagine those listening to the Food Biz Wiz podcast know who I am. If you don't, my name is Ali Ball. I'm the founder and CEO of Food Biz Wiz. I'm a former grocery buyer turned wholesale consultant, and we help CPG brands understand how to get on the retail shelf and how to have high sales once you're there all through our online program, Retail Ready. I live in San Francisco. And for breakfast, I had a date and a handful of cashews because I was running out the door. And it was like while I was walking my dog, like headed to the office. So um, that's pretty typical for me. Not really a breakfast person either, but snacking. Okay, you guys, are you ready to do this? Are you ready to talk ops? Let's do it. Okay. Adam, I think we need to kick things off, though, with like a high level what the heck do you mean by operations? What is that? Sure. Well, and I guess before I, I start really quickly, I, I mentioned what I do at Rodeo, not what Rodeo does. Mm. So, so Rodeo helps brands with three main things, R&D, operations, and sales management. So we have service offerings that, that do that. And then increasingly, we're building technology to help with that as well. So just so you know, it doesn't seem like I'm some random person spouting off about ops. Uh, this is what we do as a company for a living. So to, to kind of break ops down simply, it's basically everything related to, to making your product. So when you think about packaging and ingredients and manufacturing and all of that kind of non-sexy behind the scenes stuff that goes into you know, going from an idea or, or a bunch of kind of like disparate pieces to a finished pretty product that's on the shelf that Ali, you help brands move. That's kind of operations. And then you hear about supply chain every day today and the disruptions in it. And, and that's very inextricably linked with um, you know, operations as well. So just, just think about basically all the, the components and things that go into making your finished product. That's, that's typically what we mean when we say ops. 
Yeah. And that makes sense, Adam. And I'll tell you, I know that we've shared a, a lot of clients and we often find that brands come into retail ready and they don't quite have their ops dialed in. So yeah. I love that it's it's a focus of yours, um, a passion of yours, both at Rodeo and, and personally, you have all that experience with, with ops. So let's, let's start from the beginning and talk about what the best brands do, where they start from that ops perspective. Yeah. And, and just to address your point, like most founders don't get into this to be operations experts. They want to, you know, they want to create a brand. They want to sell. They they want to do that side of the business. So it, it's it's not uncommon to come in with with very little fundamentals here, and it's not uncommon to not want to do this. It's it's like a very very important part of your business, but it's it's definitely not the most fun part. So that's that's a totally common refrain. That's fair. So one one thing I love, like there's an old Mike Tyson quote that that. I think I find myself saying a lot, but everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. And that happens to hold very, very true for CPG, particularly right now when things are kind of a mess. That said, it all starts with a good plan. Like you you need a plan. It's going to change and that's okay, but you you can't go in with, with no plan. So to make a plan, so before you even get there, you need a firm grasp or at least a pretty educated guess if this is your first time doing this or your business is brand new around four main things. So first thing is demand. So what are my distributors or my customers going to order for the next month, six months, year or so? The second thing would be around production. So how much am I going to manufacture and when? Mm -hmm. The third thing would be procurement. So what materials do I need to order when and in what quantity? And then the last important piece of kind of working towards a plan would be your cash flow. So understanding what's my cash balance on a particular date. On a particular date. So how much cash do I have for the next month, three months, six months? So, and I think in general, the key here is always be very, very conservative when you're thinking about revenues and very, very aggressive when you're thinking about costs and time. So in other words, assume that things will cost twice as much and take twice as long as you think they will take. Uh, That's always like just a very important thing to to kind of like build into your to your models, especially if you're doing this for the first time. It's it's yeah. never going to go according to plan and so it's going to take longer and it's going to cost more. I think that's super solid advice. Okay. So the four things that you were saying in planning, I just want to recap them here. Yeah. Demand, right? Like what um what are people going to want for the next month, mm-hmm. six months, year, right? Demand, yeah. production, how much mm-hmm. am I going to manufacture and when? Procurement. So all those supplies and, and yep. moving things that go into making your product, right? And then tell me the last one again. Cash flow. So, Cash flow. and this is a huge one. And, and this is a particularly in the world of selling wholesale, like selling through a distributor into a retailer, your cash cycles could be six to nine months. And so this is where I see most brands fail is around, especially once again, if this is your first time, you think you're going to get paid in 30 days, which would be the case if if like the clock started now. But you know, from when you outlay the cash for the raw materials to the time that you're actually getting paid back, it, it can take up to nine months. And so this is where it's really, really important to kind of be thinking about that. And, and if you don't have any knowledge of this, working with someone who's done this before to help you understand this is how much cash you need to have on hand. So that those are the the four main things you need to have a grip on before you even start planning. So just like, you know, trying to make sense of those, those, those four main, we'll call them pillars. Uh, And then from there, you know, you can kind of start moving towards creating plans around each of those. That is such a good note to, to always remember that it's going to 
cost twice as much and it's going to take twice as long. And if I could tell every single founder we've ever worked with that, or we ever will work with, that's just such really great advice. So you just talked about what you should do to start. What do you do or what should the founder do after they have a really good handle on their demand, production, procurement, and cash flow? Yeah. So this is, this is now where, you know, move from getting a handle on these these key pieces of information, actually planning. So, and each one of those four things should have its own respective plan. So for instance, um, if you were say trying to do a sales plan for retail, you'd, you'd want to generate what's called like a bottoms up or consumption-based sales plan. So that's like a velocity driven plan, like how many units I'm going to sell by product or SKU, by m- month, by key account, and that's typically developed by a sales team. If you're a solo founder, that's you're the sales team, so it's developed by you. But the idea is instead of saying, you know, we're going to be, we're going to sell the market size is a billion dollars, and we're going to get one percent of that, and work your way kind of top down. You work your way bottoms up by account, and then in that plan, you'd also have assumptions around, you know, we're going to reach out to these fifty accounts, we're going to close twenty percent of them, and then kind of you'd put timelines against all that. So. We actually have a tool at, at Rodeo that's free that um, you can use. You can create an account at rodeocpg.io um, and create create your own consumption based plan, which is super helpful uh, for for a lot of brands. So that's Adam, on, on the. Well, I'm going to interrupt you, Adam. Is it okay if we put that in our show notes and we'll just put that link right there sure, for our listeners? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, awesome. that would be great. That'd be great. Um, there's a free tool uh, there for that, and then um, there's some other free tools in there as well that are great. So that's you know when you're thinking about like demand that's that's a piece of it obviously the the sales side and then there's also you know you'd have your own separate demand plan as well which is kind of more of like you know uh i guess in, internal facing or production facing but the idea is you know based off of a demand forecast that you put in place and any other pertinent information from sales and marketing uh and your research and development teams it's it's basically you know what will actually be ordered um versus what you plan to sell in this bottoms up sales plan so those two kind of like consumption-based sales plan, demand plan sort of work together there. Um, and then you could create, you know, for from a production perspective, a production plan. So that kind of lays out what finished goods you're producing, when, and then taking into consideration your own limitations, if you're self-manufacturing or your co-packers. Uh, and then the last one would be, so we, we talked about procurement and, and getting, you know, things together in, in that realm. You'd create once you once you have that, you'd create a materials requir- requirement plan. So that's or a material requirements plan. So that's basically takes into consideration, you know, the raw materials you need to order and when to meet your production timelines. So basically, you know, we we talked about demand, production, and procurement. Um, from a planning perspective, you'd be looking at creating a bottoms up sales plan, a demand plan, and a production plan to to support what's happening in those specific pillars, and. You know, the key thing to remember with all these plans is people will ask frequently, like, when do I update these plans? And instead of doing like a a monthly cadence or whatever, the best thing to do is always to have it be more event-based. So for instance, you are launching a new product in three months. That's obviously going to have a big impact on sales and your production capacity. So you want to update your plans around that. You're going to open new accounts over time. So anytime you open a big new account, that's going to have a big impact on your operations, your production, your cash flow, everything. Um, you discontinue products from time to time. So all of these things are, are big events. You know, you, you think about like 
when you get insurance as an individual and these qualifying life events happen and you can update your insurance out of open enrollment, like very similar here with your business, you'll have these like big qualifying business events, I guess, that happen. And you'll want to update these plans accordingly because they're going to impact, you know, uh, opening a new account is not just a sales problem. It's an operations problem. It's a, a cash flow problem. It's, it's a whole set of other problems, which are usually good problems, but problems nonetheless. So just key to think about like, these plans aren't static. They update when big things happen. And you want to make sure that that's, that's when you're sitting down with your team or yourself and, and making sure that the plan you made three months ago still holds water. Love it. And I love a good plan and absolutely love that you guys are providing more of tools and roadmaps on how to actually create these things because it's it's definitely not easy. And I would love to hear from you uh, based on, you know, clients that you work with, how many people are are coming to you with these in place? Or is this often a, a misstep? Yeah, uh, I would say from a like the plan we see, well, we see all of these plans a lot. Most of the time someone's coming to us to create it. So most of the time a client doesn't have it. I would say in general, we see a, a lot of founders are able to come up with like a sales forecast. But once again, it's not necessarily grounded in this sort of bottoms up way. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's much more lofty, or I would say idealistic. So most, if you've never done this sort of bottoms up planning before, it's just like it's you don't know what you don't know. And and so I, I would say for the most part, we see varying degrees of completeness in these plans from the clients we work with. But the expectation is that we kind of help them get there. So never a big deal for us if if a client doesn't have a proper bottoms up plan. That's that's when we can probably help the most. Awesome. That's great to hear. Okay, so you have the plans in place. What is what is the next step? Yeah, so you've got plans in place, so then you want to be thinking about executing and we've been around over 100 brands, you know, launches and and growth at this point, uh, particularly brands who who are launching into retail, selling wholesale through distributors. So, I think the 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 key thing I want to note is that sales and operations are so linked and it's it's hard to realize that a, a lot of the times but that's that's a really really important thing that most brands get wrong is that their sales and operations teams aren't talking in the way that they should be so one of the things that you always want to do before you say yes to a retail account so it's always super exciting a big meeting with a retailer they want to bring you in it's going to change your business um it's always very, very important to be thoughtful about that, you know, before you say yes. So one of, you know, one of the, or a few of the things to be thinking about before you say yes to say a new retailer and how that will kind of impact your operations is, can you even afford the inventory? So a lot of times brands just, you know, the new stores, more dollars, but, but in the short term, it's always more cost. So if, you know, you, a, a brand says, or a retailer says, we're going to put you in a hundred new stores do you even have the inventory to support that? And if you need to create new inventory, do you have the cash to pay for that inventory? The answer may be no. So timing in that sense might not make sense. If you've just got to go and fundraise or do you know accounts receivable factoring just to pay for the inventory, it might not make sense. Can you even make the launch date work? So let's say a retailer says, yeah, we want you in in 30 days, but you don't like you have to work through a co-packer to make that product. You don't have, once again, you don't have the inventory. So you got to be thinking about how long will it take to make the product? How long will it take to ship from the co-packer to warehouse? How long will it take to ship from the warehouse to the retailer? And then with all of that, is the product going to, you know, is it going to reach the distributor or the retailer with an adequate amount of shelf life? So some 
retailers, distributors require 70% shelf life or some require nine months of shelf life. So after, after all that's said and done, if you can't ship products that's actually going to meet those requirements, you'll be in, in basically double trouble because you'll ship the product to them. They'll ship it all back and charge you back for it. And that's brutal. So that's those are all things to be thinking about before you say yes. And then, you know, saying no can very much be your friend here. And, and Ali, I know will probably speak to this, but it's so hard. It feels like when you get deep into a retail account and there's a fit and they want you, like, it's so hard to say no. And you feel like you can't say no, because that's your only chance. But in my experience, almost always, if a retailer wants you today, they'll want you in six months. And in six months, your business might be on more solid footing. You might have a better inventory picture. There might be a whole bunch of other reasons where, where it makes sense. But if you say yes today and you don't deliver, there is no second chance. Almost like uniformly, that's what I've seen. None. So it's always really important to, like, if you have to say no uh, and say and explain why. And, and most retailers are really accepting of the fact, especially those that want to work with small brands, that there's complexity right now. It's, it's incredibly challenging. And they would much rather have you show up and you know be in a relationship with you when when your business is able to to actually sustain that and handle that. So I think that's that's kind of a key thing. Um that saying no piece is just so important and I, I talk about that a lot. Um and then I think a, another key thing here is before you say yes and this kind of goes goes back to you know the previous points but like if you're working with a co-packer you have to make sure they can even handle the growth or they can handle you know a, another purchase order. That's it's not always the case. So a lot of a lot of brands will go and say yes, and then you know go back to their co-packer, and the co-packer says I, I can't do anything for you, and then the brand's in a really 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 tough spot. So, you know, if you're working with a co-packer, something we've seen work very very well is submitting what are called per, like rolling purchase orders. So basically, if you know over the next year you're roughly going to open up hopefully X Y and Z retail accounts. Basically, creating purchase orders for those dates with kind of escalating amounts of what you're going to need, so that the the co-packer can start mapping, you know, their schedule to that. It's not binding. It's not like you're you're forced to do that amount. And if things change, co-packers will understand that. But at least it puts you both on the same page and gives you some visibility. Like in six months, we do plan to launch in Whole Foods in these two regions. Uh, you know, in another three months, we plan to grow direct to consumer by X. And so that way everyone can start seeing like, you know, very tangibly what we think is going to happen and, and planning accordingly accordingly, so that it's not this crazy mad dash when you get into a new retail account. And that's not to say that things won't happen and, and, and things won't pop up, but it, it gets you much, much closer to a shared vision, which is really, really important here because obviously the product can't get pulled out of thin air. So I think key is, you know, if you're, if you're working if you're doing your own production, asking yourself questions around, can you actually deliver this? If you're working with a co-packer, making sure they can, and to the degree you can, making sure that your co-packer knows what to expect for the next 12 months or so. Um, and as things come up, you know, trying to be as, as in front of it as you can. So if you know something's coming in three months, letting them know now, that's, that's always really, really important. So I think it all boils down to just very uh, strong communication and then being very self-aware around what your business can do right now and can't do and and being honest with your partners around when you can't do something why you can't and and explaining what you might be able to do instead. Yes, you're giving a little sneak peek for next week's episode on the retail side of things too Adam and I have to say you are speaking my love language here understanding that 
producers should say no more often than they say yes. And just, if you guys are listening, just slow your roll both on your wholesale accounts and what you're doing with your co-packer to make sure that you and the co-packer or you and if you're self-producing, um, you and your own production facility have the capacity to support the sales that you're, that you're moving towards. I love that, Adam, that, that connection between operations and sales is so strong. And I, I feel like producers often forget that they're so linked. Love yeah. that you brought that up. Yeah. And it's easy. I mean, especially if you're working with a co-packer who's like removed from your day-to-day mm-hmm. workflow, it's easy to yeah. like go out and do your sales and kind of forget about them, but you have to treat it like, you know, imagine you owned the production facility and, and you had a COO working with you. You would tell them if you went out and, you know, won a big new retail account, you'd tell them as soon as possible, you, they'd be along for the ride. So I think that the nature of like working with this complex web of third parties makes it such that just stuff gets lost in translation. It's not intentional. It's just, you don't have someone sitting next to you in an office. So you, you, you don't think to pull them in as much. And they're not a, they're a stakeholder in your business, but they're not an equity holder in your business. So it's just a different relationship. But I think that's why it's so important you treat, particularly these big partners like your co-packers and 3PLs, you know, like like they're for, for you know for now an employee in your business, and you're you're pulling them in as early and as often as possible to, to any sort of big changes like this. Yes, and you as the brand founder, you need them more than they need you. Yeah, right. That, yeah. that co-packer doesn't necessarily need you, but you really need your co-packer. Yeah, way more brands than co-packers out there. So yeah. that, that will always be the case. So, you know, always, I mean, treat them the way you'd want to be treated, treat them like a full-time employee. You know, that's, that's a big miss. I see a, a lot too, is just brands thinking like co-packer is this necessary evil, this necessary partner. Mm-hmm. And just like, they're just making stuff for me. They can do a lot more for you. And if you have a good relationship with them that's built on trust, communicating frequently, even one of the simple things to do is, so yes, these POs are important, an important thing. Most people I see never ask their co-packer for a weekly meeting. And most co-packers would be happy to do that. Most of them aren't email people. So they'd prefer to just have a quick agenda, meet for 30 minutes every week. That keeps you top of mind with them, make sure nothing falls to the cracks. And what you might find is they know packaging people, they know retailers, they know like they know other raw material suppliers. They can do a lot more for you than just make your product. So yeah. definitely pull them along for the ride, not just as it pertains to making your stuff, but but as it's like a like any partner, any any good relationship mm-hmm. you have that's that's built on a you know honest, open, transparent dialogue. Yes. Again, sneak peek to our next episode. So Adam, I want to I want to start to wrap up here and you alluded to this at the beginning, but you mentioned things shifting in our current environment and and, and things feeling potentially even more challenging than ever. And so I want to know based on your experience, what are some of the best brands, the most solid brands right now doing in our current environment to set themselves up for success? Yeah. Well, uh, an unfortunate little spoiler alert, like things aren't getting better. Like there, you know, there, there was a, a brief moment of time early this year where like things were looking good. And and then unfortunately due to war and a variety of other things, like it doesn't seem like for the next couple of years, we're, we're looking at a stable supply chain. So just know that and, and know that, you know, in the, in the current environment, there are a few things you can be doing that the best brands we're seeing are doing. And that's if you've got the cash flow. So this goes back to planning. If, if you have enough cash on hand and you can buy more raw materials than you need and hold them. That's always a win. That's something you you definitely should be doing. If you can't, then we talked about kind of this volume contract scenario. So your 
committing to a certain amount, but you're not necessarily like laying the cash out for that. You're just kind of planning in a way. And that if, if you can commit to volume contracts, uh, that'll stabilize pricing and ensure availability. So that's that's a big one. Just saying, you know, at the beginning of the year, we, we plan to do this amount of volume with you. That's That's always a really important thing. You can do it. And I would say, lastly, the best brands have done a significant COGS cost of goods audit. So they've gone through every single line item that goes into making their product and figured out if it's gotten absorbently expensive or unavailable, what can we swap it out with? Or if we refuse to swap it out because it's critical to our product, then we've got to raise prices. And they've, with a microscope, they're, they're, they're not, they haven't done this once. They're doing this monthly or quarterly at, at a much more significant cadence than, than you ever needed to do because the things are dynamic and the availability of things is, seems to be difficult to pin down. So I think it's, it's either buy more uh, than you can and hold or try and get in place volume contracts when you can. You'll be surprised even for small amounts. If you can commit to something for a year, you'll get breaks there. And then just going through your, your cost of goods that go into your product just with a fine tooth comb and, and substituting things out or raising prices as needed to offset the increase in costs. Yeah. I hear, I hear this theme of planning around your operations, planning ahead and planning, have a plan and execute your plan. One last thing I'll say too, is just being flexible, like knowing that whatever your first choice for anything is right now probably isn't available. So knowing that's the case for every single brand right now, even the biggest brands, there's, there's no one who's getting exactly what they want. So just go into it knowing like, the cans you wanted probably aren't going to be the cans you get. So based on, you know, there's going to be cans out there that are fine. How do you make those work? How do you make those an opportunity? Because there, there is a lot of creativity that I'm, I'm seeing around the constraints. And so it doesn't need to be all bad. It just You just need to go into it knowing like things aren't going to go the way you want them to, and that's okay, but there's going to be another option. And so how can you make that option work? I think that's, that's key. Yeah. Flexibility. Okay, Adam, as we wrap up here, so I know you said the best brands have gone through their cogs with a microscope, and I know that you've got a couple other action action tasks here. This is how we're going to wrap up each episode of this three-part series. So Adam, tell us what brands can do right now around their operations, and then we're going to turn it back to Karen and Allison. They're going to tell us how we can keep in touch with them as well, how we can keep in touch with you and Rodeo, Adam, and then we'll wrap up and say goodbye before we roll out episode number two next week. So what are those action steps that folks can take after listening to today's show? Yeah. So I mentioned it before, we have a bottoms up a consumption-based sales plan tool at rodeocpg.io. So I would check that out and, and create one. That's a, a really simple thing that, you know, I mentioned some other cash flow forecasts and some other things, but I, I think if you can get a good handle on what you think you're going to sell into retail over the course of the year, that will guide almost everything else here. That'll help you understand the materials that you need to buy and when you need to buy them and how much cash you need. So I think that consumption-based or bottoms-up sales plan is a great place to start. And then the, the last thing, which you mentioned was just, it's it's really simple to look at your COGS and, and, and look at it. Ideally, if you've been around for a year, look at it year over year or look at it six months over six months, but just get a really good handle on on where things are at and where they're going. And 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 don't be afraid to reformulate or to get find a new supplier to do, to do whatever. Feels very daunting, but it's it's pretty necessary right now. So those are the two things. Just check out our free planning tool and then and really look at your COGS and make sure that that they're holding up because what we're finding is most brands cogs from a year ago don't hold up anymore. They yeah. just, 
they either the, the product that what they were using isn't available or what they were using is so expensive that they would have had to, you know, triple the price of their product, which wasn't feasible either. So they've made yeah. some solutions yeah. and swaps. All right. Fantastic. So all we'll write those two action items in our show notes. We'll link up that consumption-based sales plan um, uh, tool right in our show notes. And Adam, I imagine people can find out more just at rodeocpg.io. Is that the, the best place to find you guys? Yeah. Uh, our general site is rodeocpg.com. Uh, eventually rodeocpg.io and .com will be folded together, but I would say go to rodeocpg.com. Um, you'll you can get to IO from there really easily. And then you can learn more about everything else that we do. And then we're at Rodeo CPG on all social media. And I'm Adam at RodeoCPG.com if you want to send me an email. Awesome. Thanks, Adam. Okay. Umai ladies, how can we keep in touch with you? Yeah, well, we are going to also be giving away some freebies on episode three of this series. So I'm really happy, Adam, that you're hitting cogs very hard because our freebie, you do need to know your cogs down pat. Um, so for now, we'll leave you with our Instagram. Please feel free to follow us. We share a lot of helpful tips and tricks. It's at Umai Marketing. And then we like to chat to with anyone and everyone. So feel free to shoot us an email at hello at umaimarketing.com. Fantastic. I'll make sure all of those are linked in the show notes as well. All right, you guys, thank you so much for joining me for episode number one. I'm really excited for next week's episode where we're going to dive into retail. And then finally, our third episode is going to be all about digital marketing. All right, you guys, thanks so much. And we'll talk soon. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Instead of having a sponsor for today's episode, I want to give you a freebie, my retail roadmap. This roadmap is essential for anyone launching or growing a packaged food product, as it clearly outlines the difference between creating a product line that flies off the retail shelf versus one that just sits there. Find my free retail roadmap linked in today's show notes. You are going to love it. Thanks for joining for the first episode of our three-part mini-series on ops, retail, and digital marketing strategies that we've used to help our million-dollar brands. Over the next week, we would love for you to take those steps that Adam outlined around your ops, and then get ready to join us right back here next week as we dive into retail sales strategies. The tables are turning a little bit, and I'm going to be interviewed by Adam, Karen, and Allison. And I got to say, I can't wait to sit on the other side of the mic and talk to you all about things related to sales pitches, connecting with buyers, and increasing velocity. After next week's episode, we will be back with our third show in our series, and we're going to hear directly from Umai Marketing about the three digital marketing pillars that they love seeing brands put in place on their way to seven figures. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Food Biz Wiz. If you're enjoying this podcast and the tools it gives you for growing your packaged product business, please subscribe so you never miss an episode. From one small business owner to another, I am deeply grateful for your support of this podcast, and I appreciate it when you share it with your fellow food founders, share it on social media, or leave me a review on your listening platform. Ready for more? Find out how we can work together at foodbizwiz.com. I'll see you right back here next week.